This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome back to another season of Driven by Data, the podcast, powered by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. So here we are, season three of Driven by Data, the podcast. I'm delighted that you've decided to tune in and rejoin us. We've got some absolutely fantastic content coming your way. So all that's left to say is sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. In order for your organization to make the best possible business decisions and to make the most of your data, you need the very best people. And that's where Orbition Group comes in. We have a proven track record in partnering with some of the largest brands in the world to the most innovative and disruptive startups and everything in between. We go beyond traditional recruitment services. The organizations which we partner with benefit from the added extras that we offer, such as raising your organization's brand awareness to the data and analytics community, providing you with insights into the current market and your competition, benchmarking you against the industry to give you the best chance to successfully attract the best talent. We want to become an extension of your business to identify, engage, attract and retain the best talent possible. If this sounds of interest, please reach out today by visiting orbitiongroup.com. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast season three. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Lena Mas-Krisnik, who is the Chief Data Officer at Molis and Company. So Lena, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation about generative AI today. Yeah, no, me too. Me too. So where we always start, Lena, is by asking our guests to give themselves a uh, brief introduction into their background and I guess journey up until this point in time, if uh, if you would. Absolutely. So I'm currently Chief Data Officer at Mollis & Company. And prior to this, I was at Charles Schwab, where I worked within the Chief Technology Officer's Office, heading up technology strategy, as well as R&D and our new developer recruitment program. So kind of got to see the broad mix of everything from you know, R&D development all the way through to our client institutional application of products. Uh, prior to that, I was at BlackRock, which I first started off on the investment side. So that was very helpful from a client interaction perspective as well as understanding the investment products, both from a retail and investment standpoint, and drove strategic product management there, and then moved actually over to the technology side where I was global head of technology innovation, really focused on thinking about starting up our AI capabilities and how that AI lab was then launched. Uh, so definitely ingrained in, in getting to see how this journey has become so emergent and accelerated over the you know last few years. And prior to that, I was actually at Goldman Sachs in global investment research, uh, just kind of short of finishing my PhD in complex systems. So it's nice to be able to see how you take something in academia and actually translate that into more pragmatic applications and has really uh, you know, kind of connected the dots for me as we think about you know the work that we'll be discussing today. Yeah, very good. So, I mean, some great names on the resume there, right? From uh, Goldman Sachs through to, to BlackRock and then Charles Schwab and, and, and now present day at, at Molis. Um, just tell, tell us a little bit more about Molis and company for those that might not be too familiar. 
Sure. So Molis is a global independent investment bank that provides unconflicted strategic advice, particularly in the M&A space. Uh, we also have a very active and robust capital structure advisory. So think, you know, restructurings and whatnot, capital markets advisory, risk advisory, uh, private funds advisory, a shareholder uh, defense advisory component as well. And so our team, in terms of data science analytics, actually works across those various business functions. Yeah, nice. Okay, fine. So I guess obviously as the chief data officer, just give us a kind of snapshot of, you know, the, the day in the life of, of Lena, you know, what, what, what are you there for Lena? And I guess what have you been tasked with, with achieving? Absolutely. So for, about four and a half years ago, I was asked to build out the function. So it, really in, in an entrepreneurial sense, right, that kind of white blank napkin coming up with what does the strategy potentially look like? And I would say that we've always taken a very client-centric approach and adding business value directly to clients has been our remit and kind of mission, if you will. So unlike perhaps our peers that have focused on, you know, just pure automation to start or, you know, modeling uh, kind of hyperparameter tuning, whatever it might be, we've actually very much focused on business use cases relevant to our banking clients. And I engage regularly with those clients in terms of subject matter advice, particularly around GAI lately, uh, as well as how we think about solving problems directly with the banking teams for our clients. So there is this level of customization and the business value that we add through the work that we do every day. And I'd say it's very different every day. We have a mix of strategic projects as well as more ad hoc or tactical work that's, uh, again, client-driven. Yeah, absolutely. I guess from a generative AI perspective then are you is most of the work that you're doing is that uh in a, from an internal application or is that more advising clients on how they can use that or is it a mix of of both yeah so i'd say it's more from a subject matter expert perspective so i have a uh, background in working with the world economic forum on the technology risk and systemic technology innovation and systemic risk in financial services working group and steering committee for a few years now so we've been doing a lot of research from that perspective you know looking globally at how are there emergent technologies that are impacting and shifting the landscape of financial services? And, you know, AI has been on our radar and we've published a couple different white papers on this in particular, and now increasingly thinking about generative AI applications. And then previously, I was also on the New York Federal Reserve Bank's uh, FinTech Advisory Group, the inaugural group, uh, which interestingly, Gary Gensler served on and then obviously now is heading up the SEC. So, you know, in terms of our conversation, I'm, I'm happy to dive into, you know, maybe broader applications and how this is applicable to not just society in terms of human intelligence augmentation, but more from a company perspective and how other data leaders like myself that are sitting within industrial, you know, cross-sectional companies can think about developing that GAI strategy and what's relevant for them across a variety of business functions. Because I really do see applications across your core business, but then there's also, you know, applications for finance, for HC or your human, you know, capital management or human resources, yeah. for yeah. IT, for operations. Yeah, 100%. Now that makes, uh, makes perfect sense. So obviously, I mean, I think last six, nine months since chat gpt kind of came online right it's kind of blown up into the mainstream media and and, and obviously gathered a lot of uh, momentum and attention but i guess in terms of advice that you might have then for other data leaders who as you mentioned are probably sat in a similar situation to yourself and thinking about you know how do we bring this into our organization to to help us drive value through the use of data analytics um how how what should they be thinking about in terms of the the kind of components of creating a generative AI type of, of strategy? Sure. So I'd say I mean I've distilled it down to about seven components, which is maybe more than you know people want to remember. But 
that's how I thought about the strategy in terms of, you know, really, what do you want to be able to achieve? And then how can you execute on that strategy, which is the most important piece of it? So it has to be realistic and applicable to your specific organization. And I'd start with business value. So, you know, identifying what the key use cases are, but really looking at overarching business value in you know, the form of increased efficiency, cost savings. How are you thinking about some of these different quantifiable metrics? Improved decision making. You know, are you going to leverage further evidence based decision making because you now have improved? GAI tools that can help you obviously make decisions faster, but give you much more robust uh, kind of underlying foundational basis for those decisions with more data accessible to you through GAI. And then new revenue opportunities, right? What are the emergent opportunities for your business? You have a core business model today. You know, what are there? Are there potential revenue streams that could be generated because now you're creating improved efficiency and productivity? The second big one is competitive advantage. So this is really thinking about that adoption of GAI tools that can help your company potentially stay ahead of competitors and maintain a stronger market position. And I, you know, the tools that are available to us today, I mean, they're changing daily. There's new entrants and plugins literally on a daily basis, as you know. Uh, you know, how are those tools enable the company to become more agile or innovative and respond to your client's needs or customers' needs, depending on what your or kind of end user or customer looks like? Uh, the third is integration with existing processes. So, you know, obviously we talk a lot today about technical debt, legacy systems, even with the advent of cloud and mobility and digital transformation, you know, GAI obviously presents an opportunity to have to integrate with existing tech stacks and tech systems. So, you know, gradually leveraging GAI tools and how do you think about, you know, the existence of online available tools like ChatGPT, Microsoft Office that's launching its Copilot or 365 Copilot suite, uh, you know, Bloomberg GPT, which came out, you know, in finance, and they're discussing how to leverage that across financial services. And then just really identifying very clear proofs of concept, right? What's your, what are your key business use cases? And how can you identify initial proofs of concept to start that journey? The fourth is around responsible, you know, AI and ethical considerations. So obviously, there are a lot of risks potentially associated with AI and GAI tools. Uh, obviously, a lot of that is being discussed very recently within the EU more broadly. And I think here it's really about developing those guidelines and or guardrails and thinking about the policy you want to put in place, but getting the right cross-functional stakeholders involved. The fifth is very much just thinking about skills development, right? Your your bench, your talent, your people, that's really the most important uh, kind of group of individuals involved in this. So how are you investing in, in employee training, upskilling you know, individuals who can help maximize that uh, efficient and effective use of GAI tools, building strong partnerships with your external vendors, right? A lot of us have external data vendor relationships. Many people are already playing within the alternative data space. And then there's, of course, your own internal data sets, which are so crucial to the competitive edge around GAI. So how are you thinking about building up those strong partnerships potentially with those vendors and or others to really improve that innovation potential and the knowledge within the organization? And then obviously recruiting individuals, if you realize there are skills gaps, and this is obviously where your work in founding Orbition Group, when Kyle comes in, right, how about those programming skills, hiring the right talent, potentially help evolve, you know, what it is you're trying to achieve, again, based on your, your core foundation. The sixth is around measurable success metrics. And I'd actually be interested to hear your thoughts here because I know you've got views about quantifying business value. But, you know, just to throw a few out there, how do we think about measurable success metrics across cost reduction, productivity and efficiency gains? You know, how do you calculate that from a cost benefit analysis, for example, around a particular use cases or initiative? 
improving the quality of your company's output, whatever that may be in terms of your core business model. And then differentiability relative to competitors, right? How are you positioning the company and the organization relative to that competitive peer set and potentially creating that competitive edge? And then lastly, the point is really around your implementation map, you know, starting with that smaller POC set and then identifying opportunities to scale over time and being able to build up that broader deployment across the organization and build up confidence, right? So people gain that credibility and trust with the initial POCs and you can start to build that up uh, over time to optimize what it is you're trying to achieve. Yeah, I think... Um... That's a very pragmatic way of, uh, and some steps. So thank you for for doing that because I think it breaks it down quite nicely. I think uh, to answer your qu- <laughs> to answer your question about you know how do you measure success? I mean, I think that I think that's the, become the billion dollar question for pretty much every chief data analytics officer, right? I think uh, it, I think we know that it's um, it's important and it's required, but it's certainly not easy. And you know, the, I guess the the quantifying is is one part but then the articulation of how the allocation or attribution of how you measure the value related specifically to the data analytics organization is obviously you know a, a topic that practically every data analytics team on planet earth are talking about now right given that we're driving the conversation um that way which probably leads me quite nicely into my next question i was going to ask in terms of how how do we integrate this then you know i, I guess there's there there's a lot of different facets to what you said across those seven steps and it all makes absolutely perfect sense but I, I guess do you see this as something that should expedite the current capability and you know data strategy how do we integrate this to make sure that you know these techniques and tools from a generative ai perspective are enhancing what we're doing and how does that kind of you know how does that relationship merge with the existing data strategy and you know because i guess there, there'll be people at this moment in time who are you know maybe three years into a five-year transformation project right where as far as data analytics goes and now all of a sudden you've got something you know disruptive that's landed right in the middle of that which is you know exciting and interesting but also quite scary <laughs> i guess right in terms of you know there's a, there's a fear around if we don't do something now and our competitors do that's it we are we're, we're kind of smoked right so um yeah well I don't, I don't know what your what your thoughts are on on that so that's a great point. I mean, you know, different organizations are at different points in that trajectory where, you know, if you're more on the startup side, right, you're potentially creating some of these opportunities and have a very different view. If you're a larger incumbent organization that's dealing, again, back to that technical debt point, right, and you're in the midst of a major transformation that's been years in terms of your go forward budget, it's a very different opportunity set to have to adapt. And so I still, I, I continue to distill it back down to your business use cases, right? So you don't need necessarily to retrofit technology to solve something, right? We shouldn't be saying we have to use GAI just to use GAI, but rather even in the case of a larger business or digital transformation, what are the core solutions or problems we're solving for that we need solutions for? And do GAI tools now coming online make us more productive, efficient, potentially even more, you know, are there cost improvement and savings potentially by using those types of tools? The other way to think about it is there's a lot of noise and acceleration in the market today in terms of GAI tools with new entrants, like we said, coming on every day. So depending on where you are in that journey, you're either potentially creating those tools and bring them online because you see an opportunity to scale and gain funding and build your own business, or you 
may decide that, you know, that you're the type of organization that wants to wait and see until larger incumbent technology organizations have already vetted certain large language models and have already identified the most credible models available to you that you can then tap into because you're a client of those specific vendors. And now you can understand how to leverage foundational models to then integrate and plug into your own existing solution set and create a strategy around that. So I think there, you know, there's obviously a variety of different uh, kind of timelines that are taking place concurrently. Everyone's scrambling to try to figure out how to address this. But again, if you take it back down to your core business model and the business use cases you're solving for, that's really the best starting point to then identify how to integrate and potentially accelerate your business. Yeah, 100% agree. I guess in terms of bringing the two worlds together of, you know, what will be your your kind of data strategy as it is in operation right now and going through the execution of that, I presume, in your opinion, generative AI is just another tool that you can add that, you know, should enhance that data strategy, right? Or, or do you see this being kind of a, a bit of a separate play for most businesses? It- my view is that it is very much an integrative play, right? So it's going to improve productivity across, you know, everyone's role. I think it just depends on how you leverage it. So for example, you know, if you're thinking about client targeting or customer targeting today, you can automate that type of targeting. We're just going to see broader personalization at scale, for example, right? We've been talking about that in financial services for quite some time. Every time you log into your bank, you know, they've, you know, you're getting curated content around new accounts, new credit cards. That's just going to continue to happen. But I mean, a lot of this is happening today. It's a matter of the tools being more efficient and what are the implications of that in terms of productivity growth over time, as well as new tools becoming available. Uh, you know, let's take something like IT, right? Code development and code documentation to scale and accelerate that development of code. We're already using uh, just broadly people within, you know, organizations are leveraging GAI tools to, you know, do error code checking within their own code systems. Obviously, you need to be careful about what you're uploading from a proprietary perspective. And that's where, you know, some of the security and confidentiality concerns come into play around risk mitigation. But, you know, that like at one point it was low code, no code. Now it's GI tools are doing the coding for you. And what does that mean in terms of, you know, potential website development, app development? Uh, and again, I, I think some of the larger tech players have tools that are going to be integrated into some of the existing products we even use every day. They're going to make that type of productivity more efficient and enhance what we each do on a daily basis. But we're really seeing this application across every function. I mean, we talk about, you know, customer applications on that personalization at scale, you know, IT, there's legal and compliance applications around, you know, writing and reviewing legal documents. In finance, we're seeing the automation of data entry. And within HR systems, uh, you know, generating interview questions or automating first-line interactions. And then just more broadly, company-wide optimization. You know, how do you think about due diligence processes across departments and teams and generating profiles uh, that more kind of efficiently uh, allow you to do that across across your company or across your organization? Mm, yeah, it's really interesting. Do you, do you think that as far as kind of building a date, a generative AI strategy, if we take it back to what we just were talking about, how, you know, the, one of the biggest obstacles and challenges for data leaders is quantifying how they measure their, the value that they're having on an organization. Do you think because of the increase in things like productivity and efficiency, Will that make it any easier, in your opinion, to kind of measure 
the performance and the impact from a value standpoint in terms of generative AI and, and the kind of strategy that organizations are building around that? So I, I'm an economist by training originally, just in terms of my undergrad or uni experience. So I kind of take it back to I, or the original thinking was, you know, cost effectiveness analysis. And I remember spending a summer in Geneva doing this as a as a health economics researcher, actually. But in you know today's terms, from a business perspective, it's more around cost benefit analysis. And you can absolutely conduct those type of quantifiable analyses, right? So if you think about cost benefit, you're taking everything from hours spent on a particular task whatever that may be, and understanding and extrapolating what that looks like over time and how those efficiency and productivity gains can be, uh, you know, deemed beneficial for the organization and actually calculating down to, you know, literally the minute of what's being saved and the cost associated with that. But then also, how do you translate that into, again, to what we talked about earlier, new business opportunities, right? New revenue growth. You know, are you identifying ways to monetize some of the work that you've developed, new products that may come online? Everyone loves to talk about the democratization of data. I mean, we're going to see the democratization of so many things with generative AI tools, which is very exciting. And how do you think about monetizing those opportunities? I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if you know we just see the monetization of web app development or just app development, right? We're already seeing so many plugins today. So what are those new opportunities that then create an additional kind of revenue generation potential? And then that coupled with your cost benefit analysis are absolutely quantifiable analyses that you know one can conduct within an organization. Hmm. Yeah, makes makes sense. Obviously, there's been this notion or threat, I guess, across our industry for a long time about you know our AI is going to take over the world and steal everyone's jobs, right? And I think we've we've kind of landed on this point that I keep seeing as a quote. Now it's been said that much, you know, about uh, AI won't take your job, but somebody using AI will is effectively kind of the the the, the stage that we've that we've landed at but i guess in terms of the augmentation then of how that plays out because obviously there is inevitably going to be some people that whose job jobs will be swallowed up by generative ai because they're just so much more faster productive efficient at doing those heavily administrative type of of tasks right so how how as organizations do we get that balance right you know to kind of make sure that the the human intelligence augmentation and GAI kind of a, a pull together. Absolutely. I mean, I think this is a question that's being debated, you know, much more at a societal, even ethical level, right? As you think about the application of these types of tools. And, you know, ultimately, as you pointed out very clearly, it comes down to efficiency gains and how that translates into productivity growth, right? So we've seen through various technological cycles, right? Anyone that's a, a bit of a tech nerd that has read anything from Schumpeter to, you know, economics, looking at tech cycles and booms, you know, knows that as we see new, the advent of new technology coming online, and this was automation, let's say, for example, in the 2000s, you know, that led to improvement in terms of productivity. And we have improved manufacturing and we have, you know, increased times. That means that Products can be developed much faster, but that also leads to reduction in cost of those products, which means then the individuals purchasing those products in society have potentially more disposable income to spend on other products. From a task perspective or even from a you know, skills perspective, we'll be able to manage you know, more complex tasks. So I, I, you know, I think what we're going to see is that augmentation of existing processes in order to allow people to focus on higher order tasks, managing more complex tasks, and actually leveraging that technology to do more. So again, back to, are there new opportunity sets? Are there new revenue generating potential streams? How do you think about creating those for your business and applying some of those skills to create you know, those opportunities? 
just more broadly, again, across different industries, we're already seeing some incredible advances in terms of GEI tools application. I think there was, a, you know, without saying the name, there's a large technology company that came out recently talking about eye scans, being able to detect, you know, cardiac disease. And, you know, what is the implication for things like healthcare around medicine, life sciences, leveraging GI tools to, you know, create synthetic data to do improved uh, drug discovery, things of that nature. It's just going to completely change what we do and how we do things better, which will create more opportunities in the future. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Makes, uh, and, and makes complete sense. I guess, obviously, it, it's one thing thinking about this stuff in terms of right, what are the use cases and where can we get these gains and efficiencies and productivity kind of uplifts and, and stuff like that. Um, as with all of these cycles that come around, although this seems to be much bigger than anything that's <laughs> that's been before it, um, to, to be completely candid. But there's one thing having, you know, planning all of that out in terms of we could do this, we could do this, we could do this, as we all know, um, and then actually executing on that to get it done right. So I guess what what do organizations need in terms of expertise and skills? within that data analytics capability to make sure that they can successfully implement what needs to happen? Is there anything out of the ordinary that, you know, data teams and data leaders need to be thinking about here in terms of the right expertise or, or skills as, as this kind of journey unfolds? Sure. So maybe to, you know, draw from some examples of things that are live and how we think about applications, you know, more broadly, you know, obviously individuals who have those programming skills and coding skills are critical to be able to, I, mean, I was talking to a, a tech executive recently who said, you know, make friends with the people who know how to code, because even if, right, you know how to do very good prompts on ChatGPT, the ability to create that new level of code and understand how to potentially apply it to your company-specific use cases is a very, uh, you know, kind of important way to think about the future opportunity set with GAI tools. So, you know, understanding how that level of code is written and documented and being able to scale that and accelerate it, those types of skill sets are important. But so are those translational roles, right? Being able to take what it is you're trying to solve for and be able to translate that into what the technical aspects are of how you actually execute on it. So someone who can sit in that translational role is also very critical to the process because you need to be able to kind of sit at the interstitial domain between having the technical expertise and or at least be able to you know, discuss it with the technical experts, whatever that may be in your organization through to, you know, the business leaders, even to end clients and being able to simplify that in terms that everyone can understand, but ultimately work toward, you know, the same solution set. But, you know, there's definitely going to be a mix of skills that are still needed. You know, in increasingly, we are seeing programming, engineering backgrounds, you know, science, math being made very important from the coding perspective, but a variety of other skill sets are still needed to be able to execute upon this within organizations in particular, and being able to leverage that type of talent base and understand where you can add value, again, in a quantifiable way, as, as you pointed out, uh, to be able to improve your business impact and add value is really critical. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. we've seen this, the same thing across the wider data and analytics industry play out quite obviously. Uh, you know, even if you rewind five years ago, you know, most data analytics team were made up of very technical people. And I think we now have an appreciation that, you know, those technical people are, are absolutely critical. However, there are other skills and that's why you're now seeing, you know, these uh, these interesting roles come up, you know, whether it's the translator or whether it's the data journalist or whatever the case may be. Now, you know, you're having data teams that are, um, you know, have a, an internal comms function within it and a change function within it. And 
and I think that well-roundedness is only going to be beneficial. And I guess it's you know it's almost the same here, right? You just need someone that's probably a little bit closer to the tech from a generative AI perspective who can you know um, yeah I, I get that that translation piece as you as you very rightly said is is really uh, really important. I guess have you seen because obviously your background, Lena, very much in the financial services world, but it seems like you're involved in a lot of other things where research around this stuff is quite prominent, you know, and you've had played quite a prominent role. Do you see any major differences in terms of the application and execution of these types of strategies across different sectors? You know, does is financial services you know, because of like things like regulation, for example, is is there anything in, in at play there? I think you know. I mean, just given the recent EU a decision, a lot of that is really around bringing generative AI tools under greater restriction. Because you know, the view is how can we think about those types of safeguards? You know, the financial industry has been highly regulated primarily because it deals with very confidential client information. But the same can be said of the medical space or healthcare space, where obviously you know across the world we have various uh, you know policies as it relates to privacy around medical information as well. So in, in terms of the risks, I think more broadly, what we're seeing is, you know, there is always going to be a concern on privacy, confidentiality, security of individuals' data, and the guardrails and safeguards that are being put in place take that into account first and foremost. In terms of the applications themselves, I think there are certainly some that are specific to financial services, and I'm happy to jump in, you know, dive into some of those more deeply. And then those that are truly more uh, you know, horizontally cross-cutting. So things like personalized marketing, right? How do you think about creating targeted marketing campaigns that analyze your customer level data? That's applicable across a variety of industries and sectors. And again, back to that personalization at scale, I think GI tools are going to certainly augment that and accelerate that uh, to, a, to a great extent, right? We're just going to see a proliferation of highly or hyper-customized content that's going to come to you if you subscribe to any type of, I don't know, online or, you know, kind of TV-based subscriptions, right? It's literally bringing you the content that is personalized based on your own historical background to bear. And that's just going to continue to happen across a variety of different interactions that we have on a daily basis. Uh, Customer support, again, you know, that's applicable to any industry where we're already using chatbots and virtual assistants daily in terms of streamlining customer experience and interactions to provide that type of real-time support. And again, we're just going to see a proliferation of that with more efficiency and productivity. Uh, you know, fraud detection and prevention, a variety of different industries use that type of, you know, both from even a governmental regulation perspective, right? We now are able, we're able using AI to create synthetic data sets that mimic real transactions or interactions and actually leveraging from learning that in our training models, whatever that may look like as part of your AI journey. Risk management is another one. I'd say more specific to financial services uh, is financial forecasting or even you know algorithmic trading, where it's very specific to the financial services space around trade execution optimization, for example. Within the financial forecasting space, and this is an interesting one because you know we've been doing this historically on financial data for years, right? Whether it be at, you know, kind of company level financials and or transactional level financials, we're looking at future scenarios and forecasts. Now, I think, and no one would argue, none of us know what's going to happen in the future. And so one, an interesting way to think about it today is really around scenario planning, right? And how do you think about the potential scenarios or potential outcomes that may happen and the probabilities of those happening and then being prepared for each of those scenarios in the context of your business and your organization? And that's applicable, you know, I would say I've been grounded in that more from a financial forecasting perspective, but that level of forecasting or even now casting that's becoming popular is applicable to any, you know, business leader as you think about your 
go forward strategies and what the optionality might be. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I guess for for our financial services listeners, what what are you seeing as being the core things that you know most FS firms will likely be investing in in this space for in terms of generative AI and the, the common use cases that they'll be able to to drive? Yeah, so I'd say I think there's a few, and you know I mentioned some of them. I think financial forecasting is certainly a big one. We already know there, are, you know, many banks are incorporating GA mo- AI models and now increasingly GA models to optimize forecasting and specifically around investment strategies. So you're seeing, you know, uh, I don't say virtual assistants, but you know this notion of leveraging a GAI tool that can essentially give you a view of your portfolio and advise you on, you know, investment options. I think that's an interesting tool set that we've seen come online or that's being developed today. Uh, personalized marketing specifically, where we've seen banks use AI-generated content to develop custom client product recommendations, again, specifically around, you know, maybe it's mutual funds, maybe it's ETFs, again, around thinking through what your product mix might be, your portfolio mix, certainly financial advisors that are leveraging those types of tools and models uh, that kind of underpin that. We're seeing the advent of GAI really creating more of an exponential opportunity there as opposed to your traditional AI models. Algorithmic trading is has been proliferating for years. I, you know, the question is just now with the GAI tools that have come online and the future around quantum computing. You know, even just the early days of testing some of that, right? What are the potential quantitative investment use cases with GPT-style models that can generate and enhance trading signals? For example, right? We're already doing this within milliseconds. How is GAI going to potentially help traders think about those signals in a more efficient or robust way? Uh, credit scoring and underwriting, right? That's very specific to financial services. Developing more sophisticated credit scoring and underwriting models, and then you know using or trying to undercover maybe hidden relationships that provide a more nuanced understanding of credit risk by analyzing patterns in larger data sets and diverse data sets that we now have available. And then fraud detection and prevention is a big one. Uh, certainly, you know, again, leveraging synthetic data that can kind of mimic financial transactions helps train the models even further. And those data sets can help, you know, identify fraud detection patterns and anomalies and really improve our fraud detection systems more broadly across the financial services landscape. And then lastly, risk management, right? So how do we think about the different types of risk, whether it's market, credit, or operational risk? And the models underlying, you know, each organization's view of that, thinking about those patterns and trends and letting organizations just become more informed from a risk management decision-making perspective. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I guess from a data and analytics team capability standpoint, if we just take you back there for a second, do do you see that generative AI helps to scale the capability and the speed at which that capability can deliver? Or do you think it will maybe reduce the need to have such a large data analytics team? I ultimately believe that it's very organizational dependent because we see large incumbent organizations that have a very robust tech stack and have been doing a lot of R&D with these types of tools over time that have actually hired or increased and the hiring of developers, AI, ML experts who can bring new products, tools, solutions online, test those out, develop proofs of concept, scale quickly, and actually push new products out to end users depending on where you are in that journey, it's a very different view, right? Some organizations may leverage GAI tools initially to reduce, you know, how many people they need to potentially think about writing, right? We've already seen that with things like, I mean, just to use creative content as an example, right? BuzzFeed got rid of a lot of content creators because GAI could actually do that 
uh, in a very efficient or kind of, you know, accelerated way. But it really ultimately depends on the nature of your organization and what you're trying to achieve. So ultimately, I believe more jobs will be created. It will just be a matter of how each organization, if you're, you know, specifically a data leader, how you're thinking about those business use cases, your core business model, and what you want that AI strategy to look like over time to solve, you know, essentially create solutions for your end clients. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Makes makes perfect sense. Talk to me about the ethics piece here. Um, I don't know if you listened to um, Stephen Bartlett's podcast, right? And he had the uh, the ex chief AI officer of of Google on there. Who you know, I was listening to that podcast this morning. And he's talking about how you know this is going to be a threat to human um, human society as as we know it. So there's obviously <laughs> there's obviously some concern by some very clued up people. It, it it would seem, but I guess from a business standpoint, we seem to be more um, optimistic about what this can do for organisations, which is is obviously great. But I guess there's some kind of I guess ethical concern or risk concern here about you know how do we make sure that we're still we're using this stuff but in the right way and it's it's done for the right you know in the right way for the right purposes as opposed to just letting it go right absolutely I, I use the the phrase responsible AI so we talk you know very extensively about that within the World Economic Forum in terms of discussions there as well as within our own organization in terms of thinking about you know what types of policies or guardrails are we going to put in place there's no question that there are risks associated with GAI you know everything from privacy content moderation misinformation right copyright infringement and just broader ethical issues that are potentially heightened by the proliferation of GAI activity so you know ultimately distilling that down to well what are the ethical considerations around responsible AI for your organization specifically. I think it's around then developing those guidelines and best practices for responsible AI usage within your organization and encouraging ethical and unbiased GI interactions, you know, to the extent that you can and leveraging, you know, the tool sets and vendors available to you to do that. And then promoting that ongoing monitoring and transparency and importantly, the accountability to enforce responsible AI usage across the organization. Hmm. Yeah, makes makes perfect sense. I'm I'm conscious of your time leading because i know that you've got a, a hard stop but i guess i'd love just to take this back to the start and just get you to kind of surmise if you would right it just envisage that you're you're speaking to an audience of data and analytics leaders you know cdos vps whatever the case may be who are obviously um trying to tackle this conundrum that they've got in front of them you know they're they're mid their mid data analytics journey we've got generative ai there's all the hype around that you know they they know that they probably should be thinking about this because again this fear of if we don't what happens to us as a as a business and that's probably you know they're probably feeling pressure from the ceo right because obviously many business leaders start to put pressure on when there's buzzwords about right you know we went through that with data science 10 years ago right <laughs> but um what would what would your advice be in terms of okay if you're trying to pull a strategy together these are the things very high level that you ought to think about at this point in time Definitely. So, you know, to oversimplify and start with just a very simple phrase, speak in use cases, not technology. So from that perspective, right, identify what those key use cases are for your organization and how you're going to work across different business functions with different stakeholders and business leaders to identify the core use cases you need to pursue, prioritize them ruthlessly, and then identify the solutions, tools, vendors, whatever it may be from a GAI toolkit perspective that apply to those use cases, as opposed to the other way around. 
And then very specifically, you know, as far as, you know, kind of the return on investment, if you will, around GAI, it's really, you know, it comes down to business value, right? We talked through some of those specific uh, opportunities around cost savings, new revenue opportunities in particular, competitive advantage, integrating with existing processes, be realistic around the feasibility relative to your own tech stack and technical debt. The ethical considerations and responsible AI kind of guardrails or policy that you want to discuss, again, cross-functionally with different leaders and stakeholders across your organization. Skills development and talent evolution is critical. So investing in those employee training programs and also thinking about strong partnerships as well as recruiting new individuals. So that's kind of a three-pronged approach there when you think about skills development and talent evolution. Uh, measurable success metrics, right? So productivity and efficiency gains, cost-benefit analyses, differentiability relative to competitors, all critical in making the case and identifying how you're going to ruthlessly prioritize those uh, key success metrics. And then lastly, being very realistic about an implementation roadmap and how you're going to execute, who are the appropriate people to have involved, what are the POCs you're going to focus on, how do you identify those pilot projects to test the GAI technology, gather feedback and refine approaches, and then scale up to broader uh, opportunities set across the, the organization. So that's, I don't want to say that's it in a nutshell, because that's a lot to throw at <laughs> listeners. But, you know, those are some of the key tenets that I think of as we as we all work through kind of what is a GAI strategy for a particular organization that's fairly broad and cross-cutting. 100%. Yeah. Last question from me. Is, is there anything here in regards to organizational design and operating model? Does that have an impact on how easy or difficult this is to kind of get? generative AI into a business and kind of adding value. So you've been in this business for a long time, Kyle, and I, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts here, but I think often it's not even about the technology as much as it is about change management. And I know a lot of people say that, but having been involved with large tech transformations in the medical field and the financial services space now for almost 20 years, it, it really does come down to the people that are involved. And so having the right mix of skills and leaders and engagement and stakeholders and getting those early adopters, right, in terms of the adoption curve and, you know, where are you, who are you speaking to and where are they on that adoption curve is so critical. And how do you marry those individuals with the proofs of concept or, you know, specific uh, kind of testing of tools that you're going to focus on to then be able to scale? Because without that change management piece, you know, you could have the best tech in the world, as we both know, and it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, 100%. Couldn't agree more. I think, I mean, and I practically think about every debate and conversation we have across the data analytics landscape pretty much the same way, right? You know, if you've got, it all comes down for me to to great leadership and the, the ability of that leader to, you know, influence change at one end and then take the business on the journey at the other end and, and build a team that can execute at the other end you know and i think if it all comes down to the ability of that person to tackle those three things in in parallel often um and, and we hear it all the time right you know the the business don't get it or they're not willing to invest or and i reckon that's true in many many cases but for me that's still that's part of the job right that is there's red tape to be cut through and unfortunately that is just part of the part of the job so yeah completely agree with you on that for sure so no that's i mean that's why you're doing what you do so well. So we're it's exciting to see that, you know, there, you have such an incredible fault, you know, listenership in terms of audience and it's such a broad cross-cutting mix, but you know, it really is the people, right. And it comes down to that. So I'm glad we're on the same page there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, Lena, look um, again, conscious of time, but thank you so much for coming on the show today and uh, imparting your 
wisdom. Um, I'm quite excited to see how your generative AI journey unfolds over the next kind of, I was going to say 12 to 18 months, but it's probably going to be like 12 to 18 weeks at the pace that things are. (laughs) Things are changing so rapidly and accelerating. No, Kyle, thanks so much. I really enjoy this and looking forward to staying in touch. Thank you. No problem. Speak soon. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, please follow Orbition Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like, and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week.